in this episode, yeah, I'm going to keep on complaining. And this time, it's about sports psychology. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Welcome back uh, to the Sea and Land Fitness Podcast. My name is Michael Sano. I am your host, uh, the original Honey Badger. Check it out. Uh, go on over to Sea uh, and Land Fitness, who is the sponsor of the Sea and Land Fitness Podcast, and check out all of the gear. Um, we've got hats. We've got shirts. Um, I just released our tier three fitness program, uh, which you can get on the website for 20 bucks. It's a, uh, a digital download. It comes in PDF format. So go over and check that out. I'm super, super excited. It's got all of the, uh, the knowledge that, that I've developed as a student in the university of Florida's applied physiology and kinesiology program. Um, as well as my uh, NSCA TSAC uh, F tactical strength and conditioning facilitator uh, knowledge in it as well. So if you're looking to uh, if you're looking to join the military and you want to get in shape, if you are in the military and need to pass your pass your next PT test, or if you were in the military um, and you want to get back into fighting shape go on over there and check it out i'll have a link in the description um also if you're just interested in military or endurance fitness uh go over and check it out so all right um in the beginning i uh in the intro i said so i said that i was going to be complaining so in the last episode uh i complained about the military's uh what i want to get the hold on let me have a sip of coffee real quick peter madera that's for you so in the last episode i complained about the missed opportunity that the united states army and the the dod department of defense in general misses by not offering a program prior to getting on the bus. Uh, now, I'm going to get argument. I'm going to get flack about that because they do offer a program, but nothing as comprehensive as what we've developed at Sea and Land Fitness. Yes, that was a shameless plug. No, actually, it wasn't. Um, but sort of it was. Uh, but, yeah, so I complained last week about that. Now, in that time... I, as I as I just said, University of Florida applied physiology and kinesiology. So within that space, ness is nestled sports psychology because of a lot of stuff like the uh, the APA, the American Psychological Association. They didn't really know what to do with it. They have this huge delineation between exercise psychology and sports psychology and performance psychology and i think that that's all hogwash because i i i'm okay with performance psychology 
I'm okay with that. And I don't think the APA has license for it. Uh, I got into a discussion with a professor of mine who told me that the word psychology is actually legislated uh, to be within their purview, meaning they have control over it. But I'm curious about whether or not that'll stand the test of time. So why do I say that? So because I I have differing ideas and I got into a a, a talk, a, a discussion with another professor of mine about on the same topic, uh, who's actually the professor of my class right now. And my observation was that sport slash performance psychology works in what's called the acute and clinical psychology, which is the, the type of psychology that the APA is butting heads with the sports psychology world against is for chronic psychological issues. Uh, chronic meaning long term. So over a long length of time. So a good example of acute and chronic would be anything from you cut yourself to you have a catastrophic catastrophic injury that you can heal from. So you have a huge cut on your leg or you break a bone. That's not a chronic issue. That is an acute issue because that's something that's resolvable within a finite span of time. Chronic could be through a finite span of time, but it's usually reserved for longer spans of time. So chronic would be something like diabetes or um, I'm trying to think of something else. Any number of diseases could be chronic. All right, here's something I had that was chronic. I had eye surgery on my um, cataract. I had uh, what's called, I think it's called, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but infantile cataract, which means that I've had it since I was a child. So that's a chronic thing. Whereas like if I poke something in my eye and my eye turns red, that's acute, short, long. So for sports psychology, we want to come in for that acute. You've got something that is troubling you, uh, keeping you from either realizing your fullest potential, meaning you want to enhance your performance, or you have something that is impeding your present performance. And that could be something that, this is where the lines get a little bit gray, it could be something that falls within the purview of the mental health clinician. What do I mean by that? So hold on. Let me have a sip. Let's say you are a high school coach and you notice that your athlete, you're, you're a, a track coach and you notice that your athletes showing up, uh, tired, they're lagging in performance. Um, their times aren't as good as they, they were. They're uh, fatiguing quicker. 
and you go and you have a discussion with this person and you say, Hey, what's going on? Well, it's the end of the semester. It's the end of the quarter. I have a lot of things, you know, with school, uh, quizzes, exams, all of that, uh, these, these big exams. And, uh, I've also got letters going out, you know, and, and I haven't heard back from colleges yet. So I, I'm just under a lot of stress. I'm not sleeping well. Now, prima facie on its face, you could take this and say, whoa, you should definitely see a psychologist about this to get yourself some help. Well, psychologist, they may be able to help, um, but they're going to look for something in, this is my experience, disabled veteran, got hurt, had to deal with, uh, with army psychs. So, um, they're going to look for a diagnosis. They're going to look for a reason for you to be seeing them. So a diagnosis is nothing more than a qualification that the the doctor makes uh, uh, on your behavior, okay, to say, you know, do you need to see me or do you not need to see me? So that's one layer. The clinical psychologist is going to look for a diagnosis. And if I get pushback on this, please, that's fine. This is for the purposes of conversation. So that clinical psychologist, <coughs> excuse me, is going to look for a diagnosis. And then once they have that diagnosis, what happens next? Do you just pay them? Do you give them your debit card? Give them a, a pile of cash and say, here, thank you. No, you don't. You give them your insurance card. Because every diagnosis, for the most part, is based on something uh, that the APA puts out called the DSMR. It's a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Um, why do I know all this? Uh, because when I was at City College of New York, I was, uh, uh, go Beavers, um, I was really, that was our mascot. What do you do, bro? Um, so I was a I was a major, I was a psych major, so I went through a ton of courses, tons and tons of psych courses, and then um, why didn't I get my degree in psychology? Because I was a double major, and they said, "Hey, you satisfied um, your graduation requirement." I know you only have two courses and it's one more semester, but you can graduate now. And being a punk like I was, um, I I graduated with a degree and a minor. But it's a strong minor, so I know a lot about this stuff. Um, so why am I bringing up the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual? Because that diagnosis that you glean get from that book that can go over to remember you handed them your insurance card that can go over to an insurance code and that code ka-ching equates to dollars so you stepping into a psychologist's office 
um, is automatically going to have this individual look to see if you require a diagnosis. And then once, if you perhaps do require a diagnosis, um, that information is going to then be transferred over to the insurance company. And that's how a psychologist makes their money. Now, am I saying don't go see psychologists? No, not at all. Um, I've used them. I needed to use them when I got back, um, from the army. Um, I, I've, I don't know that I would be here today in, in the way that I am if it wasn't for psychologists. So there is a role for a psychologist to play, but let's go back to acute and chronic is the issue something that is going to be long-term. And I would argue that no, it's not. It's not something that's going to be long-term because at, within months, a very short period of time, those quizzes will be over. In a very short period of time, you will have heard from the college or colleges. In a very short period of time, this will resolve itself either negatively or positively. But in one way or another, it's going to resolve itself. So it's not worthy of being discussed as a chronic issue. Um, in most cases. Now, if you if this stress is overwhelming... Well, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. So this is, I think, this is my opinion too. Don't go and I'm not spouting gospel or telling people not to go see a psychologist. Because if you say that, then... That's bullshit, okay? Because that's just not what I'm saying. I'm going to have another sip of coffee on that. Uh, hold on. <laughs> so, what I am saying is that a sports psychology professional, which is what we call ourselves, um, those who work in motivation, goal setting, focus, for... Uh, for the resolution of what I consider acute psychological issues, psychological issues. Okay. Everyone has psychological issues. If you worry, that is a psychological issue because, um, it, it's creating stress, not only on the mind, but on the body. So, the acute, I think, so you have this, this track athlete, I think this is a perfect opportunity to give them, uh, some psychological tools to, uh, understand that this is not an insurmountable problem, but this is a, a, an obstacle that they are capable fully and 100% capable of overcoming. Um, I think this is, I, I personally think that the sports psychology professional, um, should be a part of the greater social mental health structure that exists in this country, perhaps even the world, because I think it's something that can help a lot of people on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, a lot of people don't realize that they're getting sports 
psychology consultation uh, all the time. You're getting it from, all right, I'm, I'm going to put it really simple. Let's say you're going to the gym and you have a trainer and you are at the end of your workout and you cannot push anymore. And your trainer goes, hey, let's go. You got one more set and you are able through the motivation that that physical, that fitness trainer gives you to push through and get that second set. He's just giving you some psychological skills training. All right. Uh, whether he even knew it, um, look at, look at my sphere, the military, sea and land fitness company commanders, uh, drill sergeants, drill, uh, instructors, they are sports psychology professionals, whether they know it or not. And I would, I would argue that there's an amateur, uh, level of, uh, a farm team, <laughs> sports psychology professional parents we all do it i'm a parent i've done sports psychology skills training with my son even before i stepped foot into the university of florida um so we are all wow i'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for this one but in essence we are all sports psychology professionals in the same way that they say we're all priests we're all rabbis we're all psychologists. We're all doctors to our children. You know what I mean? We all have these traits and qualities where we can help someone step up. And that's what a sports psychology professional does, is we help someone step up. Now, my personal experience and my personal view is that the clinical psychology world does have the ability and capacity and has help people step up. But I don't know that that's their mission. And uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble for this one. So I think what I'm going to do is I brought up, so we discussed this topic in uh in in my class performance enhancement um which works in basically sports psychology and it's it's a course that's designed to show us what what these psychological tools are and how to how to give these psychological tools to other individuals and um one of the subjects we covered was this discussion that i'm having with you right now and we were required to write a 500-word essay discussion on what, we, what was the sports psychology professional and what did we take from the reading. Um, I don't know if you can hear it, but there are motorcycles going by right now. It's uh, really warm and we live kind of in a tourist place, so... If you can hear it, sorry about that. It doesn't bother me. It reminds me of growing up with my dad. So, um, all right. Uh, funny story about that. So my dad rode Harleys for years. And uh, I'm sorry, I just got to give this to you because I'm thinking about it. And my son, I think he was like three. And my dad would come and bring his bike over and drive up the, uh, drive up the, uh, the driveway and my son who's now 19 I, I but i could still picture it like it was yesterday 
he would hear that motorcycle run from the living room all the way through the house to his window, which overlooked the driveway, and just giggle and jump when my dad drove in. So it's a uh, it's a sound, a noise that really brings me joy. All right. Um, I am going to bring this up, and I'm going to read this to you. So I'm going to be looking away from the camera because I'm reading. Um, if you're not watching, if you're... Uh, checking this out, you won't notice. So, okay, to begin with, let me first apologize. My emotions will most likely become fully apparent as this writing progresses towards its conclusion. And then I start it. Cumbersome. That is what came to mind after finishing the American Psychological Association's Division 47 treatise entitled defining the practice of sport and performance psychology. It is rare within academia to read something so self-serving and arrogant. Yeah, I was I was kind of I was kind of ticked off. So, within practically every published page, it was hard to get around the condescending nature of the author's tone and intent. However, kinesiology programs do not own this information. In actuality, the field is relying on kinesiology programs to teach psychology knowledge because too few psychology programs do so. This is what the paper said. The reality is that this knowledge fits better in psychology programs, even, even if it has not historically been housed here. If a discipline were to own sports psychology or performance psychology, it would be psychology. These are the uh, these are the author's actual words. Um, so the writers act as if sports psychology professionals and consultants professionally operate as either dumpster fires or ticking time bombs with uh, regard to their impact on the well-being of their clients. They also, through the loftiness of their positions within the APA. Uh, seem eerily similar to the union bosses of the 20th century who sought to keep out the Irish and the Italian immigrants from what they perceived as their turf. I mean, they it, it, it's so much like that. It's disturbing. This is mine. So uh, this is easily, easily evidenced uh, by the fact that within the APA's organizational structure, they have over 54 different disciplines. Um, or they have 54 different disciplines. That means that there's 54 different types of psychology. Um, the fact that exercise and sports psychology are near the bottom of the list isn't specifically evidence, but it can be insinuated to be appropriately placed as a result of the APA's disdain for sports psychology's model and practice. Now, why do I believe this? Because the APA's model for practice is the polar opposite of the one used by the sports psychology professional who gives relatable, specific, and individualized psychological tools to their clients. Remember, I was talking about acute. It works, you know, in the moment. There is also a theoretical expiration date for the sports psychology professional's work that, if successful, leaves the client empowered to either overcome the mental obstacle that they need to overcome, should it rise again, 
or to ascend to the performance level that they hope to achieve in the future. Now, the APA's model of practice is rooted in a dogmatic approach that is long-term, remember I said chronic, and leaves their client branded with a diagnostic identifier that can be submitted to an insurance company for payment. To put it succinctly, there is no money for the APA in individualized care that can be treated without the scaffolding that makes up the APA. An example of this is their own legislative guidance, their own legislate. They wrote a law. They're lobbyists. Uh, and it's called the Model Act for State Licensure of Psychologists. And it was adopted um, by the APA in 2010. Now, according to the document itself, the Model Act serves as a prototype for drafting state legislation regulating the practice of psychology, meaning the APA has the full intentions of regulating the education, certification, and practice of all who intend to work within the sports psychology sphere. They actually state it in the paper, um, including training and experience that results in eligibility for state licensure. So they want to, I hate that word. It's so, it's not easy for me to licensure. Um, basically what they want to do is they want to get their mitts around the licensing of sports science, profe uh, sports psychology professionals so that they have to, so you have to give the APA money for the certification. Um, now, what is the reason behind this antagonistic position against the sports psychology practitioner? Is it altruism, meaning are they doing it out of the goodness of their heart or empathy for the client? I would love to think that this was the case, but sadly, I am not so sure. I think that it's the same issue that pervades every institution that doesn't abide by its own ethical code, and that is money. Why do I think this? Because tucked away on page 22 and 23 of the article, uh, the authors make this statement. Looking at performance across contexts, so looking at how performance psychology is used in all different situations, could include more researchers and ideally more funding opportunities they're talking about money for research. It's kind of hard to ignore it when it's in black and white. And that is basically where the big money comes in because that's the grants from the government. That's the grants from different organizations to study, you know, XYZ in sport, uh, ABC in sport. And they, it's it's a money grab. The whole thing is a money grab. Um, I've been told that it's going to be a lot of work um, to try to put in a structure to get away from the APA or get around the APA. But I think I figured it out. And we're actually, oh, this is such a jerk move. I can't really tell you about it because <laughs> we're developing it. Um, whether or not the development will be successful, I'd like to think so. Um, but it is going to be a fight 
and we are going to, I think, hold on, let me have a sip of soda, because I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap up this idea. Uh, it's coffee, not soda. Um, I'm looking at a soda bottle. So, <laughs> so I think it is my intention to develop a framework for the implementation and use of and perhaps even certification of a sports psychology professional who works primarily in the acute, in the moment. Um, and what's interesting is the sports psychology professional ethics guide from the international and the American um, associations for sports psychology, both clearly, clearly, clearly say, if there is something outside of your purview, um, send it upwards. If we, you have a client who is experiencing a mental health crisis um, or something that's just outside of your wheelhouse or your ability to lift, send them to a, a, a psychology professional. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's also nothing wrong with the activity and practice of the sports psychology professional. And I think that our structure will allow it to become a more widespread phenomena that can be, um, that will have the capability to one, help more people and also be done at a cost that is more reasonable to the client. Um, am I interested in making money? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because I got to pay bills. Um, I'm not looking to get rich off this. I'm looking to figure something out so those that need the help can get the help. Um, and there are a couple of ways that you can go about doing this. You can go and you can say, oh, this is so, ex this type of care is so expensive. We need a grant. We need this. No, you don't. You just need to, you're paying for someone's time. Okay. Um, I see sports psychology professionals making, you know, $175, $250 an hour. What's wrong with taking 20 bucks from someone? You know what I mean? Oh, you got a problem? Sit with me. 20 bucks. It's about a meal. It's about the cost of a meal. And what's awesome about that idea is, think about what I'm saying. It's about the cost of a meal. A social interaction over a meal for almost all of history was where you did your conversations. You know what I mean? You sat, you broke bread, and you discussed. And that's why I think it should be done within that type of context and model um, rather than this cumbersome, like, payment structure type of thing. But uh, that's another discussion altogether. So, all right, um, that's pretty much all I got. I'll have more updates for you in the future. Um, and, yeah, that's the... Uh, that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you have any problems with the things that I've said, please um, reach out to me, hit the comments, um, and just, yeah, let me know. Um, we've Also, uh, as I said in the beginning, this podcast is brought to you by Sea and Land Fitness, and we have got so much stuff coming out. We, uh, like I said, we put out our uh, tier three, we have tier three, tier two, and tier one. I just, uh, finalized tier three and it is up on the website. Now, 
Over the next week, I just got some software for redoing the website. So if anything's funky, um, reach out to me. Um, my info's in the description, so you can you can get to me that way. Um, but yeah, go check it out. Pick up some merch. Reach out to me and just talk. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> that sounded so dead. Just call me. Um, all right, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.